Hi there, listeners of the Third Sector podcast. This is Emily, and I have a question. Are you a business making meaningful impact within the voluntary sector? Do you believe in the power of philanthropy and corporate social responsibility? Well, if you do, it's time to share your inspiring projects with the world. The Business Charity Awards celebrate the incredible synergy between business and charity, and they showcase the companies that are leading the charge in creating positive change. Whether you're a small startup or a global corporation, your actions matter and they deserve recognition. The early bird deadline for entering the 2024 Business Charity Awards is the 18th of January, so send us your entry now. Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse. And I'm Emily Burt. Each week we bring you half an hour of discussion and debate about the important goings-on in the charity world. This week we'll be hearing from the Chief Data Analyst at Citizens Advice about some of the trends that they're tracking around the cost of living crisis and the people most affected by it. And they'll tell us about how they build strong data models and use it to improve their own advocacy. But first, Andy is with us to talk about a piece of news. Hi, Andy. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? I'm good. Yes, thanks for inviting me. What's happening early 2024? Give us all the gossip. Well, I don't want to be the harbinger of doom, but uh, it is the time that local authorities are setting their budgets for the coming year. And anyone who's been watching the news recently will know that local authorities are really facing the squeeze now when it comes to their budgets. And we've been covering a couple of stories recently that are just, in a nutshell, just kind of showing the pressure that's being put on local voluntary organisations as a result of those finances being squeezed. We've seen in Suffolk, there's a group of about 10 arts organisations and museums that have had £500,000 worth of funding likely to be withdrawn because of the local authority making cuts. And also further south in Eastleigh, Eastleigh Borough Council is on the verge of withdrawing funding for a bunch of organisations that are providing similar arts services. And it feels like a situation where we've been before. Local authority budgets have been squeezed, it seems, more and more over the last few years. But anybody who can think back to the early sort of 2010s, can you say 2010s? Either way, anybody who remembers back to then can remember when the coalition government came in and they were putting big squeezes on local authority finances then and loads of voluntary sector organisations lost funding. It feels like we're now getting into that once more with many councils having to make tough decisions. I mean, we shouldn't just think that they're withdrawing the funding because they don't want to do it. I think in the vast majority of cases, they do want to provide funding for voluntary sector organisations. But the reality is they're having to cut their cloth accordingly, depending on how much funding they've got. And they have to prioritise at the end of the day, the statutory services that they have to provide. Which are? Well, things like social services, care, stuff for children, schools, and consequence of that is other things like voluntary sector funding become kind of nice to have rather than must have. And it's a bit of a worrying time. And you feel like these couple of stories that we covered are probably just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's going on locally. Absolutely. And of course, what we'll really be thinking about is what are those knock-on impacts for the charities which are affected by this loss of funding going to be? It's probably not 
great news for them, is it? No. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, probably a lot of these organisations will be relatively small. So the effects of the cuts will only be noticed probably quite locally, which means that in the grand scheme of things, the overall scale of those cuts probably won't be noticed until some time down the line. But it is worrying. And you feel like local charities really need to start thinking about well i'm sure they they're already thinking about how they can mitigate what's likely to come but you hope that they can kind of stand up and speak with a unified voice and say well look we might be a nice to have service but this is why we are needed in the community and you know to coin the phrase that's been used by ncvo and others recently that they are kind of never more needed particularly at this sort of time But I feel like charities really need to be making the case to their local authority about why they're needed, why they should be funded. And hopefully that will convince them to keep providing the funding that they need. Absolutely. And I think in a minute we're going to hear from a charity about how data can really help to make that case. Moving on to this week's main feature, we thought it would be useful to take a look at some of the data and trends to better understand the realities of the cost of living crisis in the UK for the people who are being hit the hardest and need the help of voluntary organisations. Citizens Advice is in many cases a first port of call for those needing support and therefore has a really great insight into the depths of this crisis. The charity has been sharing this insight through a cost of living data dashboard, which it has been publishing over the past 18 months. And we're delighted to be joined by the charity's chief analyst, Tom McInnes, to tell us more about it. Hi, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks very much for joining us. So could you please tell us about this dashboard? Why did you start it? And do you have a couple of headline takeaways that you can share? For a couple of years, we've wanted to get our data out there, more usable, more visible, more available. And there's two different kind of things driving that. One of it is just the data side of things. We would like our data to be picked up and used more by other organizations. And certainly during the pandemic, we got contacted pretty frequently Larger by like central government who wanted to use our data to tell them more about how to respond to different aspects of the pandemic. But also from an advocacy level, from a policy development level, we would like to use it to tell people the stories behind our advocacy asks. Yeah. Why do we think that these things need to change? Why do we want to keep the £20 universal credit uplift? Why do we want to stop the practice of moving people onto prepayment meters for energy? Well, it's because the data that we're seeing behind it tells us that it's a big problem. And we've got data that can tell us stuff that other organizations don't have. So on the one hand, it's just a pure organizational thing. And on the other hand, it's like an an advocacy campaigning kind of tool. And what we thought is if we use these kind of public sessions, they're completely open, like anyone can join, then we could do both of those things. We get quite a lot of civil servants coming along, they then ask us afterwards, oh, could you share the data that sits underneath these things? But it also opens the door for a conversation with them about the policies that we think should be brought in, the changes that should be made to like practice that will help the kinds of people who come to Citizens Advice. And it's kind of, how long have we been doing it now? It's probably maybe 18 months, maybe a bit longer. And it's changed as we've kind of gone along. We've sort of started to look more downstream at the effects of the cost of living crisis. So we really started off at the beginning talking a lot about energy costs 
Citizens Advice has got a particular role as the advocate for consumers in the energy market. So we've got to know a lot about what's going on in the domestic energy prices in that sort of area. And obviously, given the nature of this crisis, put us like right in the center of that with some really, really good data. But because like the Citizens Advice service is holistic, so we do loads of different stuff, we can also talk about evictions, we can talk about rent rises, we can talk about debts, we can talk about homelessness. And so we can kind of look at the downstream effects of the cost of living crisis as well as like the where it enters into people's consciousness. So we've changed it along those lines. And I think probably in 2024, we might stop using the cost of living kind of label for it and just make it a more general data piece, you know, about insights from like a frontline service. We've been talking about cost of living for a while now got an election coming up maybe people won't be using that title anymore so we're going to just move it to a general sort of insights frontline insights type label but still talking obviously about cost of living issues if they carry on being like as important as they have been for the last sort of 12 18 months that's really interesting tom thank you so much and we are going to in a moment come on to talking about the cost of living crisis and the key trends that you've drawn out from this data but first you know i've worked on third sector now for four to five years and ever since i've joined i've always heard this refrain that lack of access to good data often presents a really big problem for the voluntary sector and using data and numbers to sort of bear out that case so before we get into the actual figures themselves could you please just tell our listeners a little bit about how you gathered your data and how you made that really robust so that you can actually then use those numbers to tell that story. So it's our service data fundamentally. It's about people who come to us, talk to our advisors, and we record their problems. I think one of the most important things we have at Citizens Advice is one IT platform for collecting all of that data, one case management system that all of our network uses, or pretty much all of our network uses. So We've got over 250 local members. So in your kind of local high street, that's an independent charity. But they will be using the same case management system as the next local authority over or the other side of the country, different parts of England and Wales called Casebook. And we built it a few years ago. But we've had this approach that every member uses the same software, the same case management system for recording cases. So that means, firstly, we've got an agreed definition of what advice people are getting. So if you come for advice on your personal independence payment, that's recorded as personal independent payment in Cardiff, in Cornwall, in Norwich, in Newcastle. It's all personal independence payment. It's not up to the local office to say, well, it was a bit personal independence payment, but really it was universal credit. We've got this kind of consistent way of approaching. Secondly, all of that data gets aggregated, yeah? So we've got the tech stack necessary to aggregate all of that data. And then what happens is when you get to the kind of numbers that we're talking about, which would be, you know, heading towards 2 million clients a year across these systems, then you've got something pretty robust anyway. Obviously, it's not a random sample of the population. People come to Citizens Advice because they're in trouble, but we don't present it as a random sample of the population. It's not a survey. It's about what people need. And once you're talking about the big numbers that we're talking about, then you kind of overcome problems of like, oh, is this reliable? So, you know, in these national presentations, we generally talk about the whole country. You know, we generally talk about everybody. And then we break stuff down by demography, because within our case management system, we have demographic fields, which everyone has to fill in. So we could talk about ethnicity, we could talk about disability, gender, age. So we could do that. We could talk about location as well, but we tend to do a bit less of that. And then obviously we can talk about how these different problems combine, because within the sort of taxonomy of these problems, you can see how many people came to us with just their personal independence payment problem, but how many people came with us with a benefit problem and a debt problem and a homelessness problem and an energy problem. And you can kind of look into it in that kind of depth. 
Thanks for that. And you mentioned briefly earlier that you started by looking predominantly at energy costs and problems that people had in paying their energy bills. But obviously, there are a range of other costs that have gone up over the past 18 months, two years, which are contributing to the cost of living crisis and the problems that people are facing. Which of these different essential costs from housing, energy, and there are a few others as well, have you found are most problematic for people over the past year? Or do you find that this has varied according to where they are in the country and what social group they come from? The geographical variation is a bit less than often you might think. There are differences from place to place, but this has been a national crisis. So the two key drivers for us is one is energy prices were the shock. Energy costs have doubled and trebled. And particularly when you go into winter, they became like huge, unbudgeted for problems. But the other thing that we talk about a lot is rent, and particularly private rented sector. And you can make two comparisons, which I think is quite meaningful. In our debt data, when someone comes to us with a debt problem, we do an assessment of their income and their outgoings, right? And the reason you do that is to see how much money they've got left over at the end of the month to pay back their debts. So really, the assessment is about something else. But within that, you can see what's happened to people's costs. And the story of private rents is that they've really risen, and I wouldn't say slowly, but consistently over the last five years. And you compare that to the amount of oxygen and time that was given to the rise in mortgage costs in the last couple of years, where that was front page news, you know, every day, it fundamentally got rid of a prime minister because of the, you know, the rise in interest rates that led to the rise in mortgage costs. And if you take the five-year view, mortgages have risen by as much as private rent. But the private rented thing is a kind of a, a slower moving problem. Mm. So in our terms of our advocacy, like we, we talk a lot about private rent. You can also make the comparison to social rent, which is where 20 years ago, your average citizen's advice client would have been a, in social rented accommodation. But because of the nature of that, that housing offer, the rises in social rent have been a lot lower than in private rent over the last sort of five years. And that's just luck of the draw, right? That's just a roll of the dice as to where you live. So we can kind of draw out that analysis. So the energy prices were the spike and then the rent prices are the kind of the, the slow burn. We can see the mortgage stuff in our data, but mortgage holders tend to make up a smaller proportion of our clients than they do of people in the country as a whole. But the point we would make repeatedly is that you know private rents have been a big problem for a long time, but didn't get the oxygen. If I understand it correctly, you last did a data gathering exercise in December or you last published a set of data in December last year. Yeah. So we've talked a bit there just about those private rentals and how that's impacting people. But were there any other particular or unusual pressure points that you were seeing in that last data set in terms of need for support among your users? Are there gaps that you think that other charities might be finding themselves under pressure to give support with or to help people to fill? That's a really, really interesting point so first up little plug there's another one going to be in january we do them every month so if, if your listeners want to come along there'll be another one soon in terms of gaps we aim to be here for everyone there are just little pockets of the country that we, we might not necessarily be in for different reasons but if people want that kind of like one-to-one face-to-face support it might be that there is another local charity operating in that area in any case the thing that really kind of like rings my sort of alarm bells is around crisis support so 
what part of the response to the cost of living crisis that, that Citizens Advice are now sort of referring loads of people onto food banks? Go back 10 years, like very few people were going to food banks, or certainly 15 years ago, but it wasn't a really a Citizens Advice type thing because it's not advice, right? It's just, it's like it's emergency support. And we work with the Trussell Trust on that. And we've got a really good partnership going there. But as well as there being like national organizations there, there are local organizations delivering local support. And like we as a national organization know less about what, what's going on locally. So we can kind of like zoom in and say, hey, it looks like there might be a gap here in terms of people coming to us, but it could be that other people are kind of sweeping that up. But given the rise in need for food banks, for charitable support, that kind of local offer becomes kind of really, really important. But for us, like knowing how it maps nationally, it's like just something that as chief analyst at Citizens Advice, I cannot say I know that, that stuff. So you've got this really kind of local aspect to it. And this is where kind of like the, you know, the local charities and local foundations kind of, they really have a role to play, but necessarily they'll only be where they are. There might be places that aren't being picked up. So that would be kind of one of my, one of my worries there around the, this absolute crisis and the first support offer. One thing that struck me looking at your last dashboard was a section on the ways in which different challenges are interconnected and how people's problems are very complex very rarely are they coming to you just for example with a housing issue or debt issue or whatever could you tell us a bit about some of these interconnected challenges and which ones you see overlapping more often sure and so like that's one of the things that citizens advice can talk about which very few other charities can is because we offer this kind of support across all of these issues we can see the the way things turn up in bunches one of the things that we've noticed over the last couple of years is like the number of people coming with more than one problem has risen yeah so you know in a given month you know someone is now more likely to turn up twice than they were five years ago or more likely to present with more than one thing they were years ago and it's about those kind of core areas overlapping we've got at Citizens Advice we've got like quite a long tail of advice that we just give bits and pieces on like education like how to apply it to schools and stuff like that's not really the area that we're talking about here but where it's the overlap of our debt clients are more likely to have a housing issue who are more likely to have a benefits issue than they were kind of fight it's just in the the big advice areas that we're doing because we're giving a lot of advice now on energy we're picking up a lot of stuff, people coming for energy advice that were saying, oh, there's also benefits advice available for you and vice versa. So sometimes it represents like that the solution to the problem might be slightly wider than just one thing. So someone coming for a benefits advice previously, we might say, here's your benefit check, here's the benefits you're entitled to. Whereas now we're also saying, here's your energy deal, here's the energy support you're entitled to because the crisis has spread into costs as well as incomes, right? So we're giving advice across a wider range of things because the response has to be wider because often the problems are coming in are wider. And we, we notice how it plays out in different demographics. So Citizens Advice sees a lot of disabled people. So disabled people make up like just under half of our clients if you include people with long-term health conditions as well. And people with mental health problems make up a big chunk of that. But if you look at the people who come with us with two or more problems, then the majority of those are disabled. Yeah. So disabled people are more likely to have kind of chronic long lasting problems onto which you can stick newly emerging problems onto, onto that. So the, the nature of our kind of support would have, has to change because the nature of the client group is different. That's really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Tom. 
I was very struck by what you said at the beginning of this conversation about the fact that you're sort of considering loosely moving away from this idea of a cost of living data piece towards something that is is more generic. As we say, we're now into the third year of the cost of living crisis. And perhaps I know we, we potentially have a change of administration coming and maybe things are going to change for the better. But perhaps this is in a way just the way that we're all living at the moment, which is a very harsh an unfortunate reality, but a reality nonetheless for now. Looking at the year ahead, I wonder, do you have any advice for charities who might be looking to kind of track the changing needs of their service users or of the people that they work with? And, you know, any advice for how they can make sure that they are being really, really responsive to those changing demands and how they can set themselves up to be as efficient as possible in that area. The thing that is useful for us is to be able to sort of consistently talk about the same things. You know, we'll collect data in the same way, analyse it in the same way and do that over a long time period. And I'll give you an example of why that's helpful. So during the last 18 months, the government has responded, right? Has given one-off cost of living payments to particular groups to meet those costs there was the huge sort of energy price cap intervention in like the winter before last there has been things that have happened and we can track the effectiveness that i suppose in terms of like what it does to our numbers and we see the numbers go down and in our last session martin lewis the money saving expert was the kind of guest speaker and he made a really interesting point about like credit and giving credit where it's due for the success or otherwise of stuff And I think being able to spot what interventions have helped and what has worked is dead useful. So, you know, we can see the impact on our numbers. They're not huge, but you can see that when these payments come in, when they hit people's bank accounts, like our numbers of people needing food banks does drop. And also we've noticed that they're more effective in the summer than the winter because costs are lower in the summer. If you're saying that this is energy is a huge component of this crisis, then your energy bills are way lower in the summer at the moment than in the winter. So, you know, that money goes further in June than it does in December. So you sort of see those things. I think that there's going to have to be some sort of focus on like what is going to work, what is going to help. And so being able to speak to that will be really key. So there's a bit that we're really interested in is... There's a national insurance cut in January, right, which will boost the incomes of working people. So we'll be able to see whether that's made any impact on our data. Then in April, there is an increase to national minimum wage and an increase to benefits. Yeah. So we'll be able to see again what the impact of that is on our numbers. And that's really important, particularly the second lot, because they were things that we really pushed quite hard for as being kind of essential, yeah? So being able to say, yeah, these things that we said we needed, they did the following, that's going to be important. And this data that you have collected and that you are disseminating now is obviously being key in informing and strengthening Citizens Advice's advocacy work. How are you planning to continue making use and continue strengthening the use of your data to advocate for the changes that you believe are important in the coming year? The public sort of presentation stuff, that's a living sort of breathing approach to this. So they constantly change. And like I said, they're quite different now to what they were before. There's some quite, well, I would say interesting. I'll leave it up to you to decide. (laughs) Work that we're doing about trying to model our data against the national picture rather than it just being like 
this is what's going on at citizens advice we're going to use the fact that we've got this data to try and say and this is what we think it means nationally you know building like a fairly moderately complex model that we're kind of getting peer reviewed and all of that kind of stuff so, you know civil service kind of coming in and saying this that and the other so that you know we can speak about this particular group in society and sort of like build out from what we know into national figures because like the thing we've never really been able to do is to say for instance we've got fifty thousand universal credit clients but what does that say about the other several million universal credit clients you know second thing is just sort of a low key we've been releasing a bit more of our data in a way that people can just use and take one of the things about our data is of course it's um it's all client data so we have to be really really careful with disclosure and anonymization, all of that kind of thing. So we've had a product online that's like a visualization tool, but people can look at it, but they can't really kind of use it. Or rather, they can't take the data out of it. So we've built a version where you can take the data out of it. And that's kind of what we're hoping that civil servants will sort of like, you know, build their APIs or build their tools to, to, to towards really. There's also kind of, you know, the ongoing work where like our policy work will be always kind of based on the evidence that we're collecting so as part of that we're, we're getting more of our policy researchers into frontline work so they're working as advisors and what that means is like a better sort of sense check on what we're saying and doing and just a better understanding of what's going on at the front line and possibly a better relaying of that information so like you know spotting problems as an advisor rather than as someone like looking at aggregated data so we're hoping that that's going to kind of improve the way that we, we, we do that kind of analysis. Work. So you mean they're working as advisors to your clients? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So manning the phones, as it were. That's really interesting. It is so positive to hear about a really integrated approach being taken across this. So it's not just that you have data in a silo, policy in a silo, and then front like work in a silo. You can absolutely see how having people who work across that broad spectrum actually make the whole approach to building this mission so much more effective. And that is absolutely brilliant i have to say i'm so encouraged to hear about an organization who is, is is really making the most of their stats and then applying that in in real world settings tom thank you so much for your time today that's been really enlightening thank you we hope you enjoyed our discussion with tom and if you're interested in hearing more from Citizens Advice, they will be hosting their next Data Insights event on the 18th of January, where they will be joined by Britain's foremost pollster, John Curtis, to discuss how the cost of living crisis and squeeze on household budgets are influencing public opinion ahead of the upcoming elections. And just before we go, I would also like to take a minute to tell you about an upcoming third sector event, which will help you start your year with a bang. And that is the Third Sector Tech Summit. The Tech Summit is one of our most popular events of the calendar year, and this year it's taking place on the 7th of February. The fully online event will tackle the pressing digital issues for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector at this precise moment in time, and we'll be hearing from organisations like Cancer Research UK, UNICEF UK and Shelter on how they are harnessing new technology to take their organisation forward. There is more reason to join us this year than ever because the pace of digital transformation in the sector is faster than ever before. So how can charities grasp the opportunities ahead? How can they confidently navigate those challenges that these new tools present? You'll have to join us to find out. So tickets do start at just £25 and you can find a link with further details in the show notes.
That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be joined by the Charities Aid Foundation and Disability Solutions West Midlands to talk about organisational resilience. For now, thank you to our guest, Tom McInnes, and our producer, Nav Powell.